BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I just biked around Lake Michigan, nearly a thousand miles. All right, that was yesterday's show, Mayor Rahm. Take a chill pill, man. Now you chill out. How about that? <laughs> oh, man, that's Mayor Rahm going at it. Dr. D and Mayor Rahm, 15 rounds in Vegas. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, May 12th is just moments away. But first, did you know that the original Constitution of Illinois in 1818 explicitly stated only white males are eligible to vote? Well, that's no longer written in our Constitution. But over 200 years later, Illinois laws still disenfranchise primarily black populations through felony disenfranchisement. Silenced, an unlocked civics documentary is a story of the democracy that we have created in the United States that silences millions of people who have been or are currently disenfranchised through incarceration. Premiering virtually on Thursday, May 13th. It's tomorrow at 6 p.m. Silenced, an unlock civics documentary examines who is included in our democracy and who is left out tomorrow, May 13th at 6 p.m. Silenced, an unlock civics documentary. Reserve your ticket right now at chicagovotes.com. And today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. Thank you, Chicago. The Chicago Federation of Labor, our sponsors. Thank you, Chicago. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show was brought to you by Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things that is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what pot to smoke, what edibles to eat, <laughs> that and more. ChicagoReader.com plus political columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky and our Guest coming up very shortly, Maya Duke Masava, Chicago Reader. And to help out the Ben Jarofsky Show, chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. There you can become a Ben head. You can join the alley. You can join the avenue. You can join the boulevard. It's all up to you. I mean, you don't have to do any of those. It's all up to you. Chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. And the Ben Jarofsky Show starts right now. It is Wednesday, May 12th, and live from my apartment in his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Duke-Masova, and it's the long-awaited return of legendary Chicago journalist, the mighty Monroe Anderson. Now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this King Donnie Wednesday, and here's why. Because <laughs> he's the king, that's why. He's King Donnie. Reigns and rules over the Republican Party. Donnie Trump does not play, ladies and gentlemen. He demands obedience. And the Republican Party, they're bending over to please. And so it was this morning. 
I think it happened so early, D, that I was still sleeping. No. <laughs> they got up early to do their dirty deed. I, yeah, I think I was. I was sleeping. I woke up. <sighs> gentle slumber. Looked at my phone, and there was the headline. The Washington Post, the dirty deed's done. The Republican Congress people bowing to Donnie's command had ousted Congresswoman Liz Cheney from her leadership position with the Republican caucus. Instead of the third ranking Republican in Congress, she's now the 343rd or something like that. (laughs) She's just below the office intern. She will now be the woman that's sent out to get the coffee. Well, here you go, Mr. Trump. If they could move Liz Cheney's office into the parking lot, they would. Next up, Donnie's running someone in the next year's Republican primary against Liz Cheney in Wyoming. According to all the experts, she could lose because it's Donald Trump's party. It's not the Republican Party anymore. It's not Abraham Lincoln's party anymore. Let's be clear. It's Donald Trump's party. And if Republicans don't fall in line, then the line falls on you. I might have some respect for them if they weren't so chicken shit about it. Actually, I wouldn't have any respect for them at all. Who am I kidding? Put it this way. I couldn't accuse them of being chicken shit if they hadn't been so chicken shit. The dirty deed took place this morning, as I was saying, at a private caucus meeting of the Republican congressman. No cameras, no reporters. Wasn't even a roll call. They executed Liz Cheney by voice vote. So I suppose later they could all claim I didn't. I didn't. I, I was on her side, if necessary. It's like voting present on a bill or not being on the floor at all when the vote is taken. Oh man, I some some legislators in Springfield do that. You know, oh god, the phone call came in at the worst possible moment, and I couldn't vote on that controversial bill, which no matter how I vote would get me in trouble with somebody's. <laughs> Funny how that happens. Here's the issue. We all know what's going down. Donald Trump wants a loyalty oath from Republicans throughout the land, from the lowliest Republican councilmen to Republican state reps, party chairs, governors, congressional reps, senators, et cetera, and so forth. You must obey Trump's command, and that means repeating his lies, including, though not limited to, lie number one. You must swear the oath that he was the greatest president we ever had, even though, of course, he wasn't. Lie number two, you must contend that he led the fight to defeat the pandemic, even though, of course, he didn't. And the big daddy of all lies, that he won the presidency, even though he lost. And not only must you repeat that lie that he won, even though he lost, but you must act as though the election were stolen. And so you must promote laws that would prevent the theft of future elections, even though there was no theft in the first place. Man, it's massive gaslighting across the country. So they got these Republican clowns in states like Georgia making a law where Republican Party leaders can effectively replace vote counters who do their jobs with vote counters who don't. It'll be like what's going down in Arizona right now, that fiasco which we really haven't had a chance to talk about. I got to bring in someone from Arizona D to talk about this, where the Republicans are doing a recount of the, of the election that occurred in November, even though there was already a recount in the hopes of finding votes. All of a sudden they go, Oh my God, this is proof. It was stolen. What a joke. Georgia, this is what they want. They want to take a secretary of state like Brad Raffelsberger and replace him with Trump's stooges. 
You know what happened in January. Trump personally called Raffensperger and asked him to find 11,000 plus votes that he, Trump, needed to win the state from Biden. And I have win in quotes. Raffensperger said no. And now Trump wants him ousted for defying a direct order to steal the election. And instead of standing up to Trump, Republicans have passed a law making it easier for Trump and his obedient followers to replace independent-minded officials with puppets who obey his command. This is a scary time, folks. And you imagine if Democrats in Springfield tried anything remotely like that. Imagine if our old friend, House Speaker Michael Joseph Madigan, pulled such a stunt. My goodness, the wailing, the crying, the chest beating, the bleeding about political bosses from Chicago. No, no, it's always Democratic political bosses from Chicago. Oh, my goodness. Mike Boast, our good friend, the congressman from downstate. I'm sick of it. Remember that guy? Sick of Michael Madigan when he was a state rep. Now he's a congressman. He was voting. He voted with the rest of them to kick Liz Cheney out of the party position she had. I'm sick of it. Every we. year we give power to one person. Right <laughs> yeah. And Jim Durkin. Let's not forget him. The so-called moderate Republican. Where are any of these folks when Trump punishes Cheney hiding under their desks where where Republicans generally be found when it ever is required that they take a courageous stand? I got to give Liz Cheney credit. I never thought those words would come out of my mouth. (laughs) Given a Cheney credit. And as I said the other day, I just get a big kick in a bizarrely ironic way at Donald Trump's response to Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney says she will not, under any conditions, subscribe to the big lie that Donald Trump is insisting Republicans repeat. And so as a result, Donald Trump says she must be ousted, and he calls her a warmongerer because the Cheneys, of course, invented the pretext to invade Iraq. At least her father, Dick Cheney, did. Like I always say, oh, Donald Trump, where were you when that war vote went down in the early O's? Grabbing women by the you-know-whats? Because I didn't see you in any of those protests, March, Donald Trump. I didn't see you sticking your neck out like all the lefties of the land who took the hard stand. As for all those Republicans who voted against Liz Cheney, they're the same bunch who fell in line to vote for the war like they're falling in line to vote for Donald Trump. So don't use the warmongering to justify cutting Liz Cheney off at the knees. You would be singing her praise, Donald Trump, if she voted your way. You'd be honoring her. You'd be talking up her daddy, just like you honored Rush Limbaugh and Newt Gingrich and all the other war hawks in your party. You don't care what they did in 2003 and 2002 in regards to the Iraqi war, so long as they're obedient to you in 2021. As a longtime Chicago political observer, I find myself asking the question, who's the bigger rubber stamper, the bigger coward, Republicans in Congress who bow to the grand imperial wizard Donald Trump or aldermen in the Chicago City Council who have routinely down through the years bowed to powerful mayors like Richard J. Daley, Richard M. Daley and Mayor Rahm? Tough question. 
But I'll say this about the aldermen. At least they displayed their cowardice out in the open where all could see it. They didn't hide behind a voice vote in a secret meeting hidden from view. The grand old party has to change its mascot from an elephant to a chicken, as in cluck, 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 cluck. <laughs> cluck, 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 cluck. Whatever you say, Donnie, we do. We got a great show today, everybody. Maya Dukmasov will be here. I have been dying to talk to Maya ever since Hacking Gate opened. Hacking Gate, uh, of course, uh, is what's been going down in this city. Not getting a lot of coverage. Uh, some hackers got into the emails showing like the internal emails and the Lori Lightfoot administration uh, and uh, that Lori's the staffers and aides sent to each other. Ooh, my Masaf is joining us already. Uh, and uh, one of those emails was from Maya. So I've been I reached out to her and she agreed to come on the show and talk about it. Looking forward to that conversation. And then the other mighty M on the Ben Jarowski show, Monroe Anderson would be, you know, we'd bring Monroe back to talk about what went down this morning with Liz Cheney. He is dying to talk about that. So we got Maya talking about hacking gate in Chicago. Uh, Monroe talking about Liz Cheney in Washington. We're going to take a brief break. And when we return, Maya will be with us. Stick around, everybody. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. Still not a good question. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from his attic. We couldn't have Maya on the show without playing that a little bit. I I was watching her on the screen. She was, I don't know, taking notes or something. And then all of a sudden she heard that good question, man. <laughs> One of the greatest riffs ever in the history of the Ben Jarofsky Show. When the old studio, Maya walked in and she goes, I got to talk about. We should. I should go find that Maya and replay it. That riff you went on about. Still, I think I have a still picture from that conversation where I'm just like throwing my hands up in the air. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, Lori Lightfoot from the toughest mayor in in the world to the gentlest uh, questioner, as she asked uh, Hillary Clinton the biggest puff piece question. Anyway. No puff piece questions here. I reached out to Maya yesterday. This story, um, I've been fascinated by it, uh, Maya, and I haven't had a chance to really uh, dig into it. I've been following it closely. And uh, over the weekend, uh, I don't know, maybe it was over the weekend, maybe it was last week. Anyway, uh, emails were hacked uh, by an outfit called a Distributed Denial of Secrets. Uh, they posted it on the Internet. Uh, thousands and thousands of uh, emails between uh, Lori Lightfoot staffers, mostly having to do with criminal justice issues, were hacked, and they're out there. You can read them yourself. I went through, I spent about a half an hour or so going through them the other day, or yesterday. Uh, And um, interesting response from Lori Lightfoot. Instead of dealing with questions about the substance of the emails, we'll get into this a little more with Maya. She's saying, well, in her opinion, there's a chance that they were possibly fabricated, so she's refusing to answer any questions about them, any of the specifics about them. So she's gonna she's gonna ride this out. That's how she's gonna ride this one out. It's interesting, uh, public relations strategy. Um, we'll get into that, but first, Maya, I want you uh, to lead us through this. Uh, when I reached out to you yesterday, uh, you you alerted me to the fact that one of 
you were included in this email drop, uh, an email that you had sent, totally legitimate email you had sent to uh, the mayor's people seeking information uh, last year. And uh, why don't you just take us through what you discovered about uh, what happens to a reporter's request for information once it goes to the information machine of the mayor. Take it away. Yeah, so this is um, this was not the first or only time I've ever reached out to the mayor's office for comment uh, for a story. I don't um, frequently do stories which require comment from the mayor's office, but periodically it comes up. And um, this particular story, I was also it was a, a co-published piece with the Appeal, which is a national publication about um, the mayor's track record on police reform. Um, given the promises that she had made when she was campaigning. And this was an assignment that I got uh, in June, um, like an early to mid-June last year, right after all of the um, the George Floyd protests tipped off and there was tons of conversations about police reform. And uh, so I reached out to one of the kind of lower level uh, spokespeople at the mayor's office. Um, I had a very tight deadline, so I had to reach out to her on like a Saturday, I believe, with a list of questions. So there were two kind of issues. So the story was partially about the campaign promises that Lori Lightfoot had made in terms of police reform and where she was at in terms of fulfilling them, but also about uh, her particular relationship with uh, with the Grassroots Alliance for Police Accountability, the GAPA coalition, which she part of her platform was running on passing the GAPA ordinance and uh, at that time, in mid-June of last year, um, the, the GAPA folks had told me that basically she had not talked to them for months, that she very abruptly stopped talking to them the previous March. And so the first part of my question, uh, the questions I had for the mayor's office were was um, about, you know, any response that she might have to what they were saying about... They, they, she had made a statement right after the protest started at a press conference saying that she's been in talks with GAPA, that she, that they're, that they're, you know, in process of implementing this thing. And they, they, I heard from Desmond Yancey, who was like the head of the GAPA coalition. And he was basically, he just like went off about this on the phone with me about how disingenuous it was for her to say this when she hadn't talked to them in months and her people hadn't been in active meetings with, with the GAPA folks for months. So I got a bunch of confirmation from various people about this, and so I asked her first to like respond to this, to that, like, you know, why did she claim to be, there was a final deal with GAPA that was close to being done when there hadn't been any talks about this for months. And then I sent them a list of like, mm, like 18 or 20 platform points that were on her website as a candidate about police reform. I literally went through all of the documents that were still hanging out on her campaign website and went through like point by point and asked them like, where are you at with implementing these campaign promises that she had made? And some of them were like pretty innocuous and sort of uh, just general and straightforward like, creating a new chief diversity officer at the Chicago police department. Some of them were a little more 
nebulous, such as like eliminate intentional lying, which is like a very ambitious goal for a human being to make about any human endeavor. But like, okay, that was part of her platforms, like eliminate intentional lying in the police department. Um, reduce the number of police misconduct claims, increase homicide clearance rates. There were a lot of promises. And some of these things were about police accountability and transparency within the police department. And some of them were about um, improving, you know, the police department's performance on some of the things that they're supposedly doing and part of their official functions, such as solving homicide cases. So uh, if you'll remember, she had also gone on TV, like right around the time of the protest, right afterwards saying this was actually like once the video came out of the cops eating popcorn in Bobby Rush's office. So she, you know, there was like a bunch of furious press conferences about it. And she came out and said that she was making like a 90 day promise to implement like these four reforms in the police department. And they were like, uh, community involvement and officer training, increasing quote unquote core competencies about neighborhoods, um, recruits orientation being done in the same district that they would be assigned to when they first got on the job and uh, like getting training to, for police to interact with youth. Mm -hmm. So these were things that were actually part of her, original platform when she was running but now like a year later she was saying these were part of this 90-day push so those were things that i assume they were basically admitting she had not done in her first year but okay anyway so those are the questions i sent and what i saw in this in this like in this uh in these hacked emails was then the subsequent like chain of emails and communications uh are it, of of various spokespeople at the at the mayor's office and at the police department workshopping their answers to these questions. Talk about that workshopping your answer. You could see this, by the way, folks. Uh, track it down. Well, uh, Maya tweeted it out. Uh, she's such a millennial, man. She figured out how I couldn't in a million years do what she did, but she got it out. The all the uh, information you need to see is uh, embedded in this tweet. I found it fascinating. Now, we'll get into some people said it wasn't fascinating, but I've never been on the other side. I've my I've always been outside government and I've always been an outsider looking in. And generally, from my position, no one even talks to me at all. <clears throat> yeah. So the notion uh, that a reporter's query would result in, I think it was, I want to say, I'm doing this off the top of my head, about a week's worth of emails that, it generator five days. I mean, you take yeah, a look it was at like the, four days, four days, four days. Okay. All right. For, for a, a, a short week, uh, but uh, four, four days uh, worth of uh, emails back and forth. And there must've been at least what a half dozen names uh, who were being emailed. And it seemed to grow as the weeks went on more and more people involved. I, I was struck by that, that everything is so orchestrated uh, at City Hall these days. Go ahead. Everything is yeah. just so coordinated. I mean, I think that it it wasn't like it wasn't surprising to see this. Um, I know that this is how like when you send questions to a government agency, especially when they're 
like pretty pointed questions, especially when there are questions about the agencies or various officials like failing in any way to do what they said they were going to do or what they're supposed to be doing. You know, you don't you don't like the the spokesperson for the agency or like the head of the agency is not just going to like respond to your question. Like everything is very carefully uh, processed and looked over by a bunch of different people, by lawyers, by, you know, rep- basically like flat, you know, flack people, the spin doctors, whatever. You know, you know I, I kind of have a basic awareness that this is what happens, especially at, at like a high level government agency. But it was just interesting to see it, to actually see it, ha- like see it happening because uh, some of these people are, a lot further up the food chain than I would have expected to be like answering questions from, I mean, I do think that part of the reason they even bothered to respond to me was because this was a co-published piece with a national publication. I think if I was only doing this for the reader, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have even answered my questions. I'm sure I probably wouldn't have even heard back from them. Um, But, but to see that there is like, there's a lot of people working on this and there's a lot of people who are doing a lot of work. And then there's people who come in who don't really like, so, okay, look, coming, coming at this from the perspective of like, this is someone's job. Like one of the first things that happens is uh, the kind of one of the top communication guys in the mayor's office, Patrick Mullane, who was like a spokesman for the mayor, he crafts like, long detailed responses full of like all kinds of like uh you know some specific and some very ambiguous statements but in response essentially to like every single one of my questions he he has like some kind of uh crafted like several sentence response okay and then he forwards that along with some like highlighted queries for other people. So mostly there were they were kind of like he was CCing people in the police department with regards to some of the questions I was asking. And this actually was the most interesting part to me. So when candidates are running for mayor, including Lori Lightfoot, you know, they make a million and one promises about everything they're going to do at the police department. They're, they're, you know, starting with something as innocuous as hiring a chief diversity officer to something as general as eliminate intentional lying. So what's what's so fascinating about this email exchange is that then you have the mayor spokesperson CCing spokespeople at the police department. And like, for example, with regards to the question of where are they at with hiring a chief diversity officer, Patrick Mullane is asking the CPD people, is this something that the department is considering at all? So this is a year after she's already been mayor and her spokesperson is asking the police department spokesperson if they are maybe considering hiring a chief diversity officer, which was a promise that Lori Lightfoot made to the people of Chicago, that she was going to make the department hire a chief diversity officer, which just tells you like how seriously you can take promises that anyone running for office makes about doing anything at the police department. Like that place is running by its own rules because they can't even put it like a, I mean, look, chief diversity officer, give me a break. That's just like an exact, that's like a C-suite executive official that, you know, is here today, gone tomorrow. It's like literally one of the simplest things you can do. 
within an agency with 16,000 sworn officers, like forget about changing the culture of the officers working on the street. Like this is just like revolving door of figureheads at the top. They can't even install one of those people. So then when it comes down to like eliminate intentional lying, (laughs) this is, this is, this is okay. So this is, so this is what Patrick Mullane writes regarding that question. Like, where are you at with eliminating intentional lying? So he responds, so he he writes, like he drafts a little response and then he puts a highlighted thing for the police department spokespeople to respond to. So his drafted response was, as part of the department's Article 5 Rules of Conduct, Rule 14, CPD prohibits any officer from intentionally lying and making a false report, written or oral. Like... She ran on a platform that included the promise to eliminate intentional lying at the police department. This guy is just telling me that they have a rule saying that they're not supposed to lie. Yeah. But then he's asking the police department, this is the part he highlighted for them to respond to. He's saying, what else can be said here in terms of increasing accountability? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, uh, by the way, just for a moment, I've been uh, watching a uh, mayor of Easttown, just a brief tangent, yeah. which is a HBO show. I don't know if you've been watching it. Uh, and in that show, it's, it's very in, uh, enjoyable and whatever. Anyway, in that show, everybody freaking lies. Literally everybody is part of this, this charm of the show. And then they get caught in the line. Just the notion that as a campaign, pro- eliminate intentional lying in, in, in any entity, particularly the Chicago police department is far-fetched. Uh, I, I just wanted to, yeah, what's that? Go ahead. I just wanted to point something out and I'm going to go uh, old person on you. I am telling you, it was not always this way with reporters, inquiring reporters dealing with public information officers. Again, I'm going to point, I'm going to go my high horse right here. These are public information officers, Maya. These are not spin doctors. Obfuscation officers. Yes. And they're acting like spin doctors for the mayor, which, okay, that's the way we're at. But when I first moved to Chicago back in the ancient years of the early 80s, literally I would call City Hall for a request. You know, I was a lowly reporter uh, in those days um, for the reporter newspaper. And I would call and, oh, God, I remember Bob say, may he rest in peace. I think he passed on. Anyway, he would call you back and give you an answer. And it was like, it wasn't, maybe he had to talk to, to gather some information from some bureaucrat. Do you follow what I'm saying? Let me get back to you, Ben, in about half an hour. And then they would call, get back to you and let the chips fall where they may with their answer. This is an orchestrated response. This is, first of all, everything's an email. So like Bob say, would just say it to me over the phone. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, this no, is nobody orchest- will tell you anything verbally on the record. Like the only time they talk to you verbally is on background, on the phone, and you can't quote them on anything that they say to you like verbally, you yeah. know, like everything that's that you're technically like that they consent to being quoted on is always an email. And it's always like the safest possible thing you can say. Like, what can you say without saying really as little as possible of anything? Like that's that's just a PR game like that. I mean, but I think, look, this is not just this. This is not just like a problem in the city of Chicago. This is just the way that like public relations and communication works on a global scale in the year of 2021. Like this is how corporations communicate. This is how governments communicate. This is unfortunately just like 
part, you know, part of the game. This is why it's so important to do journalism based on public records and tell stories not based on statements from officials, but based on their internal communications, right? Um, and, and, and their own internal reporting and their data, right? Because that tells like a way clearer story about what's actually happening than whatever the hell these like 15 PR people are going to tell you. Absolutely. Statements are, are utterly worthless. And by the yeah, way, I'm exactly. just going to take this, uh, uh, the change in Chicago, <clears throat> I'm thinking of writing about this. The change in Chicago began with daily. And it was Daly who brought in the notion that no longer were public information officers, public information officers, but they were essentially political strategists who work with the, the daily campaign apparatus to put out a message. In that case, in the case of Daly, the message is that the, the mayor was all powerful, all wise, perfect in every way. Uh, a message that was largely seconded by both major newspapers. But that's when I, and I've seen every administration get a little more sophisticated with this approach. My Rahm Emanuel brought in the system that you're confronting now where they don't only on background off the record, you know what I'm saying? Which is utterly absurd. And that's like a guy like me. I, I mean, I give credit. I'm going to give some shout out. Steve Brown, Michael Mad uh, Madigan's longtime spokesman. He's old school. You just call him. I don't know if you ever had a deal. You call him up. He's going to tell you whatever he's going to tell you. You may laugh at it, disbelief. And Steve, I can't believe you think anybody's going to fall for that line. He'll tell you a few jokes. It's over. He doesn't have to call 20 different people uh, in the bureaucracy to stitch together. That's an old school thing. So you're, what your approach would, would uh, these hacked emails show Maya is a sophisticated modern uh, operation. And I'll throw this at you. I, I'm not in any way complimenting Donald Trump, but he at least deviated from this when he took well, control. I, of that's why people were finding him to be so like refreshing and persuasive, you know, like people who don't, didn't really care about the content of what he was saying. Like so many people were totally like mesmerized by the style, by just like talking, by just like talking directly. So, and I, you know, I think there's some level of, um, of like uh, fascination with, I think, Bernie Sanders for the same reason. This is why populists are popular. Like popular, like part of like being a populist is like not doing this kind of thing, not like having everything you say be massaged and focus grouped and like, you know, lawyered to make sure that you're not, you're taking the least amount of risk possible to say the most general kind of thing. I mean, one of the things they do too um, is they include like in in addition to responses to my questions, right? They're also, uh, you know, they they have like a kind of uh, a general statement about their track record with GAPA, but then they also, you know, there's like these exchanges where uh, people want to, um, they want to have like a val, they want to send me like a value statement, <laughs> as you know, as part of this, like you know. Uh, <laughs> response to my questions and and the last the last of the emails on this is is uh one of the last emails on this is an email from carolyn jacobs who was like the uh former i guess uh deputy what was she deputy corporation counsel um yeah she was a deputy corporation counsel she's been out since december uh so she doesn't work there anymore but so she was, uh, she also worked at Mayor Brown, which is the law firm that Lightfoot worked at before. And 
she like is also part of workshopping this value statement. And then she says above the stuff that she's writing to like send to me, um, she writes this really weird statement that actually Greg Pratt was tweeting about uh, when, when he retweeted my, 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 what I tweeted about this, this email exchange, he pointed out how wild this is, the stuff that she wrote, which was that she said, I actually agree with the idea of reforming these communities, which it seems like is a reference to like communities of color. Mm-hmm. She's saying, I actually agree with the idea of not, she, I don't, this doesn't seem to be talking about the police. This talk, this seems to be talking about like poor communities of color in the city. She said, I actually agree with the idea of reforming, reforming these communities. God knows values such as intact families, education, work ethic, religion, etc., are the building blocks of success in all societies. As young people, we think this is old fashioned. As we mature, we see this is not only true, but the alternatives lead to chaos. Only bolded sentences or items were edited. Please pass these along. Here. Yeah. Yeah, so, that is you know, very like revealing. You also get a little bit of a, a, a feel for how these folks think about people in this city. Yeah. Which is also like very revealing. Yeah, it was very revealing. Uh, and uh, by the way, so uh, your thoughts uh, about Lori Lightfoot's re- response to the hacking in general, uh, where she gave the press conference yesterday. Uh, we talked about it yesterday on the show where she had the press conference uh, and she said that she couldn't guarantee uh, the legitimacy, the validity of the emails, that there may have been some sorts of fabrication that she did. She just sort of suggested that was possibly the case. Uh, and they were also stolen. So as a result, uh, her administration was refusing to take uh, answer any questions uh, f- uh, stemming from the emails. Uh, what's your thoughts about that as a response? Yeah, it's an interesting strategy for like trying to ride out the news cycle on them to see like, oh, we're not going to make any statements yet because some of this might be fake in the hopes that like in a week or two, people are going to be asking less questions about it. There'll be some new crisis to talk about and they won't have to, they won't have to discuss this. But I will say that like, you know, uh, if this stuff was fake, they would have had, they would have been like out there with all kinds of PowerPoint slides about, you know, proving that there was some kind of fabrication or alteration or whatever. And there are like hundreds of people involved in these emails. Like you would think that a lot of them would be coming forward saying like, for example, Karen Jacobs, like if this was a fake thing, if this wasn't actually something she wrote, you don't think she'd be putting out press releases saying like, here's here's the actual email I sent. This is trying to like besmirch my (laughs) reputation. This is a fake email. Like this is not to be trusted. So I just feel like we would have been having you know seeing a lot more beef and a yeah. lot more uh, a lot more evidence of the fakeness of this beyond the mayor just suggesting that by right now. and by the way uh if that was her intent was to uh, ride it out it's not been wholly successful because the sun times and let's give tommy schuber credit has done two stories Uh, based on uh, information they've elicited from the emails. Block Club came out with a really good story that I just read before we went on the air. Uh, They did a wonderful story about how she was lobbying, how Mayor Lloyd Lightfoot was quietly lobbying for qualified immunity for cops. 
They yeah, just so put I, out on May 6th. Uh, I may uh, actually just put it all together, uh, just some of the information that was released. And I, I'm, I'm all over the map when it comes to hacking emails. I wouldn't want my personal emails hacked. Uh, on the other hand, I've been always watching government, uh, the behavior of our government officials, very skeptical about what they say. And so it's so revealing when you see what's going on behind the scenes uh, like that comment that you just alluded to that Greg Pratt picked up on in his tweet. Uh, and it's just very revealing. Uh, anyway, Monroe Anderson is standing by. We're going to switch our uh, topic of conversation uh, to Liz Cheney and the Republicans. Maya, I just have to ask you this question. I'm just kind of putting you on the spot here. Are you, are you intending to write an article about this or are you going to let it go? Well, uh, I think that if I do write an article about this, it's not going to be about my own cropping up in this in these emails, like I'm, I'm curious to see other issues that they may be talking about that are part of my beat. So there's a lot of reading I still have left to do. I'm definitely not writing an article about their response to me. That doesn't need more than a tweet. <laughs> All right, fair enough. But uh, and then one last uh, comment before we go. When uh, Maya put the uh, the tweet out, uh, Kelly Quinn, my old friend, uh, used to work uh, <laughs> PR in town, and Maya go, "This is fascinating." And Kelly she Quinn, was, man, she was look. <laughs> Give people some context. She was part of the crisis management team around the Laquan McDonald scandal for yes. wrong. Yes. Thank you. I was going to go there. But before that, she worked for Pogloyevich. I don't know if you knew that. Anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, she writes, but there's nothing fascinating about this. I'm like, once a dissembler, always a dissembler. Just run along, little kitties. No reason to look at this. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the master, the maestro, by the way, is on deck waiting to come on at assembling. He was a press secretary. I don't know if you know this, uh, Maya, for Gene Sawyer back in the day. And Monroe Anderson knew how to deal with pesky reporters like you and me. Uh, but we're going to be talking about Liz Cheney. And so, Maya, thank you so much uh, for coming on at short notice. I appreciate it. When we return, Monroe Anderson talking Liz Cheney. We'll be right back. Madam Secretary, you talk a lot about um, the mothers of your friends, where you went to their houses and you knew that they were going to be kind and generous and supportive of you. So that, that theme of women being present and how they make a difference, um, talk a little bit about that and, and how that, again, animated some of the, the selections that you made of people in the book. That's a great question, Mayor. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from his attic. I'm Monroe Anderson, legendary Chicago journalist, uh, former uh, press secretary, Eugene Sawyer. It's a regular on the show. He's been uh, taking a little time off from our show because he's busy uh, putting the finishing touches on a book. But when, with Liz Cheney's situation coming down, I called him up. I go, come on, Monroe. You got to come back. You got to talk about the, Trump may not be the president. But he is still the ruler of the Republican Party. And Trumpism is still very much alive. And I would say, Monroe, that was on display this morning uh, with the Liz Cheney vote. But those cowards, they didn't even do a public vote. They, <laughs> they went hiding, little chicken. They, but the end result was on display. Go ahead, Monroe. They, they, they loan their spines out to somebody. I'm not sure, but they have none, zero. And plus, uh, Trump is running the Republican Party like a, a New York mob boss. 
And so he tells them what to do, and he doesn't have to spell it out. You know, he just uses a few key phrases here and there, invites them, invites them to Mar-a-Lago to kiss the ring, and then go about their, his business. Mm. Well, uh, Liz Cheney, the congresswoman from Wyoming, daughter of uh, former Vice President uh, Dick Cheney. Yeah, I've Dick, been pointing Dick shoot him in the face, Cheney. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, Scalia. No, it wasn't. It was, it was uh, no, who was Scalia. it that they shot in the face? It was, um, it was one of his friends. One of his friends, but I think Scalia yeah. was on that hunting trip. Yeah, um, it was one of his friends. In down the, in, uh, yeah. They, he, the typical Republican, he says, um, he shot me in the face. It's okay. Yeah, no, he did. <laughs> you got your Republicans. <laughs> It's okay. I probably deserved it. I probably deserved it. And even if I didn't, thank you, Master. Can I have another? Um, so Liz Cheney, I, I, I despise the politics of Dick Cheney, and uh, I oppose the war of Dick Cheney, wrote articles about the protests here in Chicago. But I got to tell you, in this day and age, uh, I find – there, I, I appreciate the stand. Let me just put it that way, uh, that Liz Cheney has taken Monroe yeah. because she's essentially saying that she doesn't care if she loses her seat. Yeah. Which no, no, this is good, but with her and Adam K- Kisslinger. Kinsinger. Kin- Kinsey, Kissinger. Whatever. Yeah. Right, exactly. With both of them, you got to remember they're still Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> they're still conservatives. <laughs> they might be doing a good thing right now, but they will disappoint and anger you tomorrow or next week. You are so correct. And in fact, to that point uh, in the essay, I, I may have mentioned this to you on the phone, in the essay that Liz Cheney wrote, her uh, declarations of independence from Donald Trump and Trumpism that she wrote for the Washington Post, which is wildly heralded. At the end, she went on this thing about the woke, democratical Democrats. Like, oh, my goodness, there right. we go. <laughs> woke right. Democrats. Right. Right. Uh, she no, had the, to. The, the best Republican is bad. If you remember that, if you're in good shape. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you have time, go back and listen to the interview I did with Monroe when Willie Wilson walked into the room. It is hilarious. Willie Wilson, of course, longtime Republican. Although Willie kind of hides it. You know, he's like, I'm an independent man. <laughs> but right. I voted for Trump. I voted for Rauner. Right. Uh, Monroe goes, Willie, you're thinking like a, a millionaire right now. You're thinking because he was going on about taxes and stuff. Right. Right. Uh, You're right. So, um, uh, Dennis, we have a little bit of uh, Liz Cheney's uh, speech. Monroe asked us to play a little bit about it and so we could comment on it. We haven't played it yet. This is a speech uh, that Liz Cheney delivered. Let's see. What is today? Today is Wednesday. So she delivered it yesterday uh, in Congress. I don't think anybody was listening in Congress or there are very few people there. And they left. They literally all but one Republican left yeah. when she started talking. What a bunch of cowards. So not, so not only are they spineless, but they're rude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is worse. Uh, so uh, Dennis is going to play this for us right now. And before uh, a former president who provoked a violent attack on this Capitol in an effort to steal the election, 
has resumed his aggressive effort to convince Americans that the election was stolen from him. He risks inciting further violence. Millions of Americans have been misled by the former president. They have heard only his words, but not the truth, as he continues to undermine our democratic process, sowing seeds of doubt about whether democracy really works at all. Remaining silent and ignoring the lie emboldens the liar. I will not participate in that. I will not sit back and watch in silence while others lead our party down a path that abandons the rule of law and joins the former president's crusade to undermine our democracy. Very good, thanks, T. Uh, Monroe. Yes. Remaining silent emboldens the liar. Uh, how emboldened is the liar right now? Oh no, he's he, he is he he is flying high as he can. Um, he's since he's a little bit overweight, but anyway, he yeah. I mean, he's still he he is still he's running the party, and he's acting like. And they're acting like he's the president, which is just amazing to me. I mean, this man, he, he is this incredible loser, and they embrace him. I mean, uh, he is the first president since Woodrow Wilson, not Woodrow Wilson, um, um, Hoover. Hoover. Mm-hmm. Since Hoover, who managed to lose the House, the Senate, and the White House. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the only president in modern history that's done that, and yet they're um, clinging to his um, funky coattails. Yeah. Well, there is some method to their madness, which I will lay out for you and get your thoughts. And part of this is I elicited from you yesterday when we were chatting. The strategy that they're following is essentially... Uh, to recapture the House and maybe even the Senate by putting up laws intended to suppress the black vote and riling up MAGA. And if they, they're convinced that if they are successful at riling up MAGA and suppressing the black vote, they could take back the House yes. and the Senate. And that's their strategy. And the key to that is Donald John Trump, because MAGA, you think the Republicans in Congress are going to follow Trump off a cliff. MAGA has fallen in love with Donald Trump, and uh, it it is a cult-like obedience to the Grand Wizard. What's your thoughts on how uh, dangerous and potentially successful their strategy is? Go ahead. It's, it, it's dangerous because if successful, uh, America will no longer be what we think of it as. It'll be closer to um, Putin's uh, Russia or someplace like that. It, 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 and we Trump right now is is on a revenge uh, uh, trip with anybody who voted against him or said anything nasty about him in response to the nasty things he said about them. I mean, he's, he's doing a punishing where he's calling the shots. 
And, and this is part of what has the Republican politicians in Washington afraid is that um, they're worried that he will run somebody against them who will then lose to the Democrat because the person is so terrible as, as a Trump supporter. But that's another story. I mean, this is so crazy. In the meantime, um, if you go to my Facebook wall, what you'll see is I've posted this story about 100 Republicans are threatening to leave the party unless it separates itself from Trump. But most of those Republicans aren't in office are yeah. for election. You know? So um, we need more Liz Cheney's and um, Adam, Adam Kinzinger. You know what you, you want to do? And I want to do the same thing because we're baby boomers. We want to turn it into Kissinger. Yeah, and right. that's what we're used to. We see yeah, right. it's like I'm on a tangent with a tangent. There is a player on the Chicago Bulls named Denzel Valentine. When I see the name Denzel, every part of my body is screaming, the next word will be Washington. There's only one Denzel. So it's the same thing with Kinsinger and Kissinger, you know, whatever. Old habits are hard to break. Um, How seriously do you take this as a political force, this the declaration that some Republicans okay, are this is the, the situation and, and everybody right and left is, rep- is saying the same thing that the Republicans are going to win back the house next year because historically that's what, what happens when, when one party is, is, is in the white house, the other party wins the house in the midterms. However, I would argue that history is not law. Just because it happened 10 times before doesn't mean that it's guaranteed to happen again. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the, the, the Republicans at war with each other and uh, with Biden's popularity and running the, of the government, so slickly and wisely, um, I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they're going to be able to do it. In other words, you think that uh, Biden, I, the Democrats I, I, will hold I, I, the House? No, I think the Democrats will hold it. Particularly, this is, they're t- they're t- there's one thing that they really, really, really need to do, and that's kill the filibuster. Because if they kill the filibuster, then they can pass laws um, that will stop all the suppression laws that are um, spreading across the country. And now that's, this may not last forever uh, simply because you have Roberts as the chief justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the guy who brought you the corporation as human mm-hmm so that um, they can put all this dirty money into the, into the elections. And um, if, the Repub- if the Democrats pass a, a, a voting rights bill, at some point it will get, get to the Supreme, his Supreme Court, and he'll, he'll know what to do with it to mess it up. Yeah. But if they kill the filibuster, mm-hmm. then what the Democrats can also do is um, 
fix the Supreme Court, correct its um, its its weightiness at this point, adding, adding more members, adding more members. Uh, well, okay. There's, they have radical. They they have they have a year to do all kind of radical things. Yeah, and they've I, got to do it. They th- what you're uh, suggesting and proposing. By the way, David Ferris, a good friend of uh, the show, has been saying this for at least five years. Yeah, uh, this is uh, the, the Democrats have to start thinking this way. He said this before. Um, he wrote a book about this uh, even before Donald Trump. Uh, had took had taken office. Uh, what you're suggesting and proposing, of course, would requires a radical uh, realignment of the Democratic Party, because Joe Biden, as a centrist, that's how he got elected. Even though he's more of a leftist in terms of, since he's been in office, but as he's a centrist, more, he's been more leftist left than Obama or Clinton. Which says absolutely nothing, because those are the two biggest disappointments of my, of my lifetime, Monroe. My Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, don't get me started. You know where I'm going to... How many principles did they sell out to get where they got and to stay there? And it, well, Obama, Obama never had those principles. Obama, those principles were assigned to Obama by people who liked him and um, liked the idea of his being the first black president, et cetera. So they assigned all this stuff that he never said. In fact, if you stop and think about it, even uh, with gay marriage, it was Biden that forced his hand on that. He, he was, he, he was still not for it. Until well, Biden right. said, well, yeah. as I always like to point out, of this, he went underwent two evolutions on gay marriage. <laughs> First, he was for it when he was a state senator from very liberal Hyde Park. Then yeah. he was against it uh, when he was running statewide to become senator. Uh, and then once no longer when he was a second term president, so he was not going to have to run again. Then he evolved back to his original position. <laughs> Just proving your point, Monroe, Obama had that finger to win his entire political career, which is uh, probably why he ultimately succeeded. Although I was thinking about this, Monroe, I was, this is a tangent within a tangent. Okay. I, I was thinking about Bobby Rush yeah, and uh, how he has stood the test of time in so many yeah. ways. And uh, part of this was uh, because I saw uh, Judas and the Black Messiah again, which is the movie about the killing of Fred Hampton. And Bobby Rush was one of the um, leaders of the Black Panthers, and a, a very young Bobby Rush, just out of the army in his early 20s. And in the movie, uh, there's an actor who plays Bobby Rush. And I was just thinking about how Bobby Rush stood the test of time and in 1999, he ran for mayor against Daley. And the year later, Barack Obama ran against him for Congress. And I've always been convinced, Monroe, without any proof, uh, because I'm not on the inside, that Daley's, the Daley's of the world talked Barack Obama into running against Bobby Rush sort of as a way of punishing Bobby Rush for having the temerity to run against his highness, Richard M. Daly. And it just kind of got me respecting Bobby Rush that much more because he trashed and trounced 
Barack Obama, as you recall, in the 2000 election. Who would yes. you vote for in that election, Monroe? Barack Obama or Bobby Rush? Well, Bobby and I have been friends a very long time. I, I, I had had lunch with um, Barack Obama once during that time. I, I used to, uh, back then, I used to take Bobby uh, to a Bears game with, with Channel 2's um, Skybox once a year. I, 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 he would be my guest, and we watch a Bears game together. So it's it'd be easy. That, that was easy. I would have voted for Bob. I wasn't in the. By the way, I never got invited to the Bears game in the Channel Two Skybox. <laughs> you, you, you were the congressman, the, uh, the car salesman who also had been invited. Loved having a congressman sitting in the skybox watching the Bears, <laughs> and and um, the sales department. Who had who controlled who got to go to the games or not? Yeah. Uh, they gave me a once a year shot because I could do that. I got it. They're going to waste that ticket on a hippie, <laughs> some old hippie for the reader. Uh, that's all good. I, I forgive you. I understand. I I, I would have invited Bobby Rush too. Right. Go ahead. We saw we were there for the fog game. Oh, against the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles playoff game. I yeah, think that was where you couldn't uh, see anything. Yeah, which is just off. as well because it was a pretty boring game. Uh, yeah. But the Bears were victorious. Um, anyway, uh, yes, uh, you got me on that tangent uh, okay. about uh, Barack right. Obama and, and Bill Clinton, two of the most disappointing politicians. But you're right. You know what? You make a valid point. I shouldn't be disappointed in Barack Obama because he never promised to be anything other than what he was or is, which right. is got my finger to the wind, centrist Democrat who thinks uh, that he, that's not what he, what he, he said he was. He said he was, he said he was no, it was no such thing as blue states and red states. It was just America. And, and that summed it up. That's uh, you know what Monroe uh, Barack Obama said he stopped smoking reefer back in high school, but man, he must have been smoking some when he said that because that's pure fabrication. As no, we're, I think he believed that stuff. I, you I, actually I think, think he believed he said, what he said when he said I think it? He believed it, yeah. And that's how he tried to run the office, and until uh, Mitch 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 McConnell gave him a few lessons, took him to church to to school on how how real politics work. Monroe Anderson, tell me this. Yes. How could any black man in America really believe in his heart of hearts that there are no red states and there are no blue states? Just think about the Civil War, Jim Crow, you know, the way they destroyed Reconstruction. Yeah, but, but, okay, as, as is unique to America, back when the Civil War happened, Republicans were the liberals and Democrats were the villains. And that continued pretty much until we got FDR. The, the, the Republicans were the, the progressives on this. I mean, they, they, or less, they yeah. weren't free to slay. I mean, as much as anybody is, anybody white in America is, of course. But anyway, they've, they've changed seats and dance partners. Mm. Yeah, I still, by the way, uh, I ha I, this is on my list. 
we've talked about Senator uh, Tim Scott many times in the show. Monroe, I haven't mentioned this to you. He's become such an instrumental part in the Republican propaganda machine since the last time you and I talked. I must get, I should start sending you them, although you'd just be irritated by them. A half dozen Tim Scott emails a day. Team Scott. They call it Team Scott. Yeah, because because they, they know you. they can turn you out. Jaworski, <laughs> 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 he's this close to coming to our side. We just got to hit him with a few more emails. <laughs> this will push him over. <laughs> Let's send him a Team Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like always crying. It's like they call, the, the headline of the latest one, which I was going to send you today, and I forgot. They call me Uncle Tim, you know, and right. Uncle Tom, and they're so right. mean. Right. And, uh, well, you, well, if you recall, an, a, a, another one of my favorite uncles, who's now in the Supreme Court, <laughs> accused them of of an of an electronic. Lynching or some kind of high tech lynching. Uh, high tech lynching, yeah. 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 Right, that's the only time he was worried about <laughs> when it was him. <laughs> oh, suddenly he discovered that race exists in the United States when right. he right. might not get what he wanted. Right. Then he got what he wanted. He's like, well, forget the rest of you black people. Right. I got mine. Right. Uh, Affirmative action. For the affirmative action, I hate affirmative action, although it put me where I am. But. Yeah, man, that is uh, that is one of the most cynical moments of my lifetime, watching a great champion of civil rights, just a great judge and American Thurgood Marshall, step down and get replaced by a political hack, Clarence right. Thomas. Right. Uh, well, with the idea, well, one's black, the other's black. What the hell, huh? And right. uh, that was the that was the daddy well, portion. No, they they knew that what they were doing because if you recall, before he became a Supreme Court judge, he was in charge of the of education, mm-hmm. of education, and he was doing to education then what Vox was doing. Uh, Vox was doing uh, six months ago. Yeah. Well, just six months ago, she was already gone. Are right, you laid out a theory uh, for me last night that uh, I'd like you to share with listeners? And uh, this is what you said to me when uh, we were talking on the phone. Uh, you were pointing out how dangerous it would be if the Republicans were successful uh, in their strategy to take back the House and the Senate, because you said that, in your opinion, very soon after those elections, they would make a movement to impeach Joe Biden. Talk a little yeah, bit about that. Yeah, it, it will be a revenge impeachment. And um, they would just come, they'd make up some lie. It would probably be Ukraine, they, they, they would, uh, which has never been proven. In fact, it's been disproven. But they would bring it back. You know, I mean, if, 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 if they're successful, in um, making Trump the true winner of the election <laughs> and Biden not the president, then surely they can make him impeachable once once they start their um, big lie machine mm-hmm. going on that. And they would impeach him. 
if if they had the power, they would impeach him as as a revenge. I mean, well, because this would be Trump, of course, pulling all the um, levers as he's doing now. Mm. How yeah, they would. Yeah. However, I don't think, again, I go back to, I don't think they can win. I don't think they will win. And I think Trump will fade into oblivion within a year, a year and a half. Well, first of all, I disagree with you on that point. Yeah. Because uh, win or lose, because uh, if the Republicans win, then Trump will be very much in command. Right. Uh, but if the Republicans lose, uh, Trump will be under fire uh, with prosecutions. And I believe, I do well, believe. He's going to be on fire with prosecutions regardless. Well, it's going to be hard for the Justice Department to come after Donald John Trump uh, if he's commanding the allegiance of the Republican Party. But give me give us your theory. No, on that no, one. no, not the Justice Department. New York, New York. Very good point. Yeah. They do, they they don't care about the Justice Department. And they have all kinds of stuff on him. In fact, uh, Ru- Rudy is a fat lady and he's about to see. <laughs> Rudy Giuliani. Oh my lord. <laughs> it's the fat lady he's about to see. <laughs> Yes, he is. He's going to sing a song to protect himself. Right, exactly. So, no, they got more stuff. They they got Trump. Trump literally has been a crime boss for decades, Mm. a couple of decades at least. And now the roosters are coming home. The chickens are coming home to roost. By the way, we were talking. We were talking at length yesterday about uh, Dan, Mick Dumpke was in the show talking about Chicago corruption and Danny Sleese wearing the wire. And I just had this thought when you were saying that the, the fat lady's about to sing. Wouldn't that be amazing if all this time Rudy Giuliani been wearing a wire on Trump? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just thought of that. Like, wow. You know, egging yeah, him on. He's not wearing, he's not been wearing a wire on it, Bob. But. They got they got his phone. They got his electronic messages, and he thought of himself as an untouchable. Yeah, you know, America's mayor, and um, uh, Trump's lawyer. So he just thought that he was untouchable, mm-hmm. and had had Trump won the election, he would have been. Yeah. I mean, that's what's changed on him is that we we got a new sheriff in the uh, Justice Department. Yeah, Merrick Garland. Yeah. Uh, All right, Monroe, we're going to close by having you go local. And uh, I told you about this yesterday. I've been following this obsessively. Talked about it with Maya before you came on the show. Uh, Some some people hacked into, it's not clear who did it. Originally, it may have been Russian hackers. Not quite sure who did it, but it was uh, distributed on the Internet by a group called Distributed Denial of Secrets. Uh, Hundreds and hundreds of email circulating among uh, Lori Lightfoot's crew uh, on like Maya was featured in there. Like she sent a request for comment from the mayor's office. And then all the emails that her request generated were part of the uh, uh, onslaught that was uh, leaked. So. 
Lori's strategy, which I think is a pretty interesting one, I had to give her credit, is to say, well, <clears throat> these were stolen emails, and I'm not even quite sure that uh, they aren't fabricated, so I'm going to urge and recommend that you reporters not report on them, <laughs> like any reporter is going to take her advice. <laughs> oh, journalistic advice from Lori Lightfoot. Uh, and we are not going to be commenting about them, which uh, as a former uh, spin master for Eugene Sawyer, uh, what do you think of that as a tactic to deal with um, press and their questions on hacked emails? Oh, well, they, it is stolen material. So just just, just like if, um, if I showed up at your house with a um, big screen TV that had fallen off the back of the truck, <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't take it being the, 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 the man of, 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 of honor. <laughs> so that's, that's how I would play it. Now, what's interesting is that this is yet another um, victim of, of the pandemic. Two years ago, mm-hmm. the mayor's office would have had telephone calls that wouldn't be uh, recorded. And they would, they would have these same discussions, but they'd be talking or they'd have meetings mm-hmm. where everybody would get together in, in small groups and discuss uh, one at a time or something. But with the virus going on, then now you're accustomed to doing everything at a distance. Mm-hmm. And the problem with emails, as everyone knows, is that <laughs> what's an email always an email. You can yeah, leave it a trail. Disappear, right, exactly. They don't disappear. So, well, you know, I was... T- t- those two mistresses you have, don't send them emails. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 101. Right. Uh, I uh, was telling, I was reminiscing for uh, Maya's, for Maya's behalf, Maya's much younger than I am. She's a millennial. And I was saying um, when I first came to Chicago, you know, know, when I'd call city hall for comment, uh, I never had the feeling that it, it uh, sparked so much uh, what uh, paper pushing and uh, filibustering and trying to figure things out. I would like the, the spokesperson would get back to me and like within a half an hour with some canned statement that was probably right. baloney, but that was right. it, you know? Right. And, and I remember dealing with you was in the Sawyer years was like, what was your, first of all, you would laugh at the question tell me how dumb it was. And, uh, you know, that's no story. That's, this is one-on-one lady. That's no story. Only you would waste your time doing a story. Like then you were done with the trash talking. You would come up with some answer, but the notion that they'd spend a week Monroe, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Strategizing for the perfect response. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Times are are different, as as as, as you know. Um, back then, because I had been a journalist and it planned on planned on be, being a journalist after my brief my stint at City Hall, I tried to be as much of a straight shooter as possible. Yeah, but I did have to play in the arena. So, for example, there was some story I can't remember what it was that, that came um, through or it, it was a, a, a freedom of the press request freedom uh, of information. Yeah. Uh-huh. Freedom of information request. 
And so I, I, I take it up to the mayor who tells me to talk to Sharon, Sharon Gis Gilliam. And Sharon says, sit on it. <laughs> she was a former budget <laughs> director. Something like that. <laughs> Not that we won't do it. But we won't do it right away, you know. So, ah, the secrets. I think I was the one who filed that uh, request. Yeah, you uh, may have been. I'm still waiting for that response. When is yeah. that response coming? Well, well uh, it's just what I was. I was going to make sure that you got it. Daily one. So uh, I see. <laughs> Let's just so add the, that. Next, the next administration. In fact, I couldn't even get it. When, for, for for WBBM TV where I went to work next. <laughs> no, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it all, the downfall, in my humble opinion, began with Mayor Richard M. Daly in terms of public information. We went from a system that was Ben calling Monroe or Ben calling Bob Say or Ben calling Steve Brown and not just me, but any reporter and getting a response. And like I said, You'd have to put up with trash talking. You'd have to put up with them mocking your story and making fun of your publication. You had to put up with them putting these canned response together. You were newer nonsense, but at least you got a response. You know what I mean? It it wasn't a response by committee. Right. No, yeah, no, because I ran the press office and there were, I, I had, people within the administration angry with me all the time because I did respond. But again, I was a journalist who understood the needs of journalists and tried to accommodate them. Whereas um, in government, they don't want to accommodate. Now they're all speaking doctors. Everybody's the next David Axelrod. All right, Monroe, I'm going to let you go. Get back to uh, your business. Get back to that book. Hurry up and finish it. I knew I had to reach out to you, though. This is a big day. Liz Cheney, uh, you know, was ousted from the Republican Party. And you're right. Donald Trump is ruling that party like a mob boss. Right. And uh, well, we have Trumpism going on now. Trump is is gone from the Oval Office, but not forgotten. And so our battle continues. And therefore, even though I'm writing my chapter for a book, not an entire book, a chapter on Sawyer, um, I, I, I think I better... Um, help fight the battle yes on, on the, the podcast is yes yeah. you gotta uh, get back in the fray full time because yeah. it's no joke as we head into uh the new election season and it's i mean there's it's already starting there's the call uh the recall in california that's maga that's up there uh, the, that's inspired by maga all the laws being passed across the country to they're essentially intended to one suppress the black vote and two replace independent overseers with puppets that's what they're really trying to do monroe you know that as well as i do and and, and um my trump nut friends on facebook now what they're they're doing is um they're talking about how the, the gas is going up. Gas prices are going up, and there's a war in in in, um, in Israel. You know, I mean, anything that's not perfect is Biden's fault. Yeah, right. No, now. The, they, gas prices. They excused everything that Trump did. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, whenever anything like a gas price went up under Trump, oh, that was Obama's fault. Right. Um, 
All right, Monroe Anderson, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I uh, appreciate it as always. And I also want to thank Maya Dukmasafa, uh, who was on the show before Monroe. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. The man that Maya and Monroe probably call Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J. Bonus interviews, over a thousand episodes, and so much more. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky or wherever else you download podcasts. You can always send us an email, BennyJShow at gmail.com. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show at gmail.com. You can reach us on social media at Benny J Show, and you can call our program. It's true. 708-658-4788. 708-658-4788. Call the Ben Jarofsky Show. I won't just turn the car around. I won't just... I won't just...